Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the RC Report. I am your aforementioned host, RC Carlton. I am the owner and founder and host of most of the shows on the IB Network. Today, we have a very special guest. It's been years, actually, since he's been on the podcast. He has grown in his uh, fan base here on Twitter. I see now he's at almost 29,000 followers. He is, make sure I say it right, because I don't think I say it out loud very much, is Snotty Drippin'. Is that the only thing you go by, or do you put your government name out there these days? I've been on there. When I write, uh, you can find me at James Holdis, but I haven't written much lately. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Snotty's not, not fine, man. We're good. That's good. All right. So, lots of stuff going on in the NBA. It seems like the, the finals basically was last week, I think. But now, it seems with so much has happened, it seems like it was so long ago. But let's start there. What was your main takeaway or a couple main takeaways from the finals? It's funny that you say that because, like you said, uh, it was just about a week ago. But less than a week, actually. But since the, the Lakers have made a big move and the Celtics have fallen apart, so we almost kind of forgot almost already. The cycle doesn't stop. Um so my uh, my my impression of the finals were uh, was uh, how quickly things can change. Like coming into the playoffs, we all we all kind of thought, "Here we go again about the Warriors." Um, KD got hurt, uh, and you know they still were kind of dominating. Uh, I once KD got hurt, I'm gonna toot my own horn. I called Raptors in six when the finals started, and KD wasn't playing. Even if he came back, I thought they would still win in six. Now, it sucks that it came down the way it did, right, with uh, Kevin Durant su- suffering a season-ending injury and Clay having a season-ending injury. That's not good. Injuries always are, are never any fun. But, um, yeah, just it, it's funny because even once Kevin Durant went down, there was talk about, well, this is still now the uh, same Warriors that, you know, pre-Kevin Durant, hey, they're still going to dominate. Well, it's not the same, right? Uh, Iggy's so much older. Um, he looks really almost unplayable. So, uh, he looked. Like, he went on the court sometimes. You forget he was on the court. Yeah, it, it was bad. He was a liability. I feel like for the first time in his career, there was a lot of times where he wasn't just shooting, and his defense was fine, but it wasn't great. But I felt like he was a liability on the court. Like, let's take a, a small pause. Where do you stand on the – or I guess we're going to go down a little detour. Where do you stand on his Hall of Fame candidacy? Um, I mean, that's really tough, man, because he does have a finals MVP under his belt. Um, But uh, – I, I guess it's hard, you know, the, the occasion where he even got the Finals MVP was more about because LeBron James, not really him. They won, yeah. he was guarding LeBron, and LeBron, he, LeBron still went off, so whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Sure, he has the rings, but he has them as a, you know, six-man and as a role player. Uh, he had the Finals MVP, but that was kind of a fluke thing. He's always a good, not great player. So, yeah, I, I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, somehow I think that whole Warriors team and the death lineup like, should be honored somewhere in the Hall of Fame. Hey, this lineup for three years was so dominant, and they kind of ushered in the small ball era. Yeah, sure. like a revolutionary kind of thing. Exactly. So his name could be on that plaque or something, but as far as uh, Andre Iguodala Hall of Famer, it probably shouldn't happen. Yeah, I struggled with that narrative, and I kind of had a thing going on whenever he had, like, a bad game in the finals or when more and more people went down. I was like, well, Durant's down, but they still have, what, four Hall of Famers on the squad. Clay's down. They still have three Hall of Famers. 
because to me, Draymond is borderline. And you're talking about Iggy just having one uh, all-star appearance, I believe it is, and no all-NBA teams and two defensive teams. I, I have a hard time putting a guy that's the, what, be the fourth or fifth best player on championship teams in the Hall of Fame. But I just want to get your opinion on that because that was kind of like the hot narrative after you hit that shot. I guess that was uh, game three, maybe. I don't remember what game it was he hit that shot. I think it was game three. It might have been game two. But uh, so when you saw, you said that you had the Raptors in six. And I'm kicking myself for not taking the Raptors because all year long I kind of saw what they were, but I kind of, sometimes you let the media get in your head. Like I was impressed with them from the very beginning. And I definitely was impressed with them after what they did in Milwaukee, but I still went with the Warriors narrative. I thought the ball moving and all those kind of things was working. And not that they were better without KD, but definitely they were different. And it was back to the old Warriors. I did follow that narrative. What made you take the Raptors in six? Um, watching Kawhi Leonard and how, uh, how, how like just how dominant he had been, even, even in his quote unquote bad games, you know, he ended up with like 25, 13 rebounds and like a couple assists, a couple blocks, whatever. So, Sure, I think Kawhi was even hurt in the finals, and you know, Definitely. the last couple rounds, he was he was dragging that leg around, but he still like you know that game, even the game they lost when he went nuts in the end of the game, and Nick Nurse called that timeout to kind of ice his own team, uh, or, or he went nuts in the third. Um, yeah, he went like yeah, a twelve zero run or ten two run on his own. Yeah, that that game should have yep. been theirs. Yeah, should have been there. They should have won that series in five actually, but uh, yeah, I just. Kevin Durant just gives them – he makes them unbeatable. He's like that, uh, uh, you know, he is that cheat code. And once he went down, you realize, that, like I was saying earlier, this is not the same kind of team. Even You know, KD goes down, oh, it's the same like before he joined, and they're still dominant. They're so much thinner, like we just said. Yeah, there's no done. depth. That, when you see McKinney out there all the time, it hurts. Cook doesn't even hurt. Yep. When I see McKinney out there, it hurts. Sean Livingston was horrible for most games. He had a nice little run in game six. But other than that, for the most part, he looked unplayable. Um, so, like, you know, they always had a guy come off the bench. who would be like, you know, before it was like Barbosa. And um, I don't know. I can't remember the other guards. But he always had some guys come off the good. bench. When Livingston was actually uh, good. <laughs> exactly. And Iggy, too. Iggy was more potent off the bench, too. So now all of a sudden, you know, now I heard that now it's just saying it. Oh, and no play. Now it's just stepping a bunch of role players. Well, that's not how you talk about a team that's dominant, you know. And even when Clay goes to the bench and they just – yeah. So, I just um, I just had a feeling that, you know, they're all a little older, a little – just just wasn't the same team. And the Raptors just looked like they were – like the Raptors were locked in. So, I call Raptors a six. But, um, yeah, yeah man, that's, that's my, my immediate takeaway is just how quickly things can change from, you know, just, I just remember a year – like a year ago, you know, even at the beginning of this season, some people were still saying – they were on the – this doesn't really matter. We know it's the Warriors' chip to win. So, like, they were still on that. The Warriors have ruined the NBA. Let's hope Kevin Durant leaves, which, you know. So, things change so rapidly. I still remember, like, the, that feeling of hopelessness two seasons ago. You know, before they before they lost to the Cavs, when everybody was like, man, this sucks. The Warriors just have ruined the NBA. And now we're almost at the end of that road. Because next year they're going to look so drastically different. And the year after they're going to look different no matter what. So, yeah, it's gonna be interesting how they how they how they look in the off season. It's really interesting to see how Steph does next season without three All Star teammates. You know, and now he has to play more, probably a more traditional kind of superstar. They're gonna need him to score every night, and it's not about his gravity, it's about his production. Um, so this will be interesting. I like that you said the gravity because I believe in Steph's gravity, and you can see it. But so, and and, and I like Steph, so I'm like, I don't 
go hard with one guy or the other, so much to the point where, like, I'm in a camp. But the staff people that started to make excuses like to use gravity as a way to justify even when he didn't play well. And, again, I'm agnostic on Steph. I mean, I appreciate what he did. But you notice that, that people – I don't know where you stand on Steph. But you notice that kind of when he struggled, people looked for excuses just in general and in the finals they kind of did that a little bit? Well, I, I do notice that – and this is where – this I'm not going to say I'm pro-Steph or against Steph. But this is fascinating to me because – Steph Curry, I don't think I don't know if he gets a pass. I think these guys actually just view him differently, and they don't maybe subconsciously do. They subconsciously do this. LeBron is six eight, two sixty, right? Physical specimen, super athlete. Michael Jordan was six six, two thirty five, physical specimen athlete. Shaq was a jumbo, you know, seven one, three hundred pounds, whatever. So their dominance was based and predicated a lot on their physicality, right? Yeah. And because Steph doesn't play like that, and, you know, Steph is almost like an everyman, you know, 6'2", 6'3", uh, you know, what, probably 210 or whatever. He's in good shape. He's, he's a good athlete. He's strong, but he just looks more like a, a normal guy. Yeah. He's given the normal bypass. So, sure, his shooting is his, his, his strength. That's his superhero, his superpower, and it powers everything Golden State does. That makes him very important. I think people conflate importance an impact, right, with uh, that's, you know, all of a sudden if the argument is, oh, Steph Curry is, you know, best or second best or third best player in the league because of this kind of impact he has. But in the moment when you need him and say, hey, LeBron James will muscle his way for 35 points, you know, yeah. and he, he'll hit shots, obviously. He just, he's, he's just doing the things the way we're used to seeing, like a superhero kind of do it in the NBA. Steph is missing shots, and, he's, and, and all of a sudden he's missing shots. He just looks, it looks different. It's ordinary. Yeah. And the reality you know, of Steph he, is that because of that body, he wears down as the postseason goes on, whereas LeBron, he has injuries. But, again, like you said, he's a superhero. He's a tank. Thank but you. Steph, when he has you injuries, or how fat, how they said he was worn down from – and I think it's a little brother pass. He, he has that baby face still, even though he grew out the beard, and he just looks more sympathetic, and it's just hard to knock Steph. But after he's, I've never in my life heard that a guy – again, I like Steph. I'm the one fighting for him being – more important to the Warriors than Durant. I'm the one leading that fight all all season uh, that they run better through Steph. So I'm not against Steph, but after he scored that 40-point game, the next game everybody said, oh, man, he exerted so much energy. I've never heard someone say that about a superstar, that they had a big game, they were very active game, one game, and that affected them to the next as a legitimate excuse, you know? That is where, like, I, I even though I just said, like, I don't know if they give an excuse, but, yes, I have, like, Russell Westbrook lost that series. Uh, he, he took, like, 39 shots, right? And people, yeah. you know, they killed him, right? Hey, rightfully so. They weren't all good shots. But the point is, like, okay, Phil Jackson made a comment about Kobe Bryant that really kind of changed my perspective. I'm, I'm never going to be a big Kobe guy. But, like, he said something that kind of uh, – it, it really resonated with me. He was said – he re- along the lines of, I'm in awe of, like, the kind of stamina – and energy it takes to put up that many shots. You know, I think Kobe had a bad game or something, and he's like, he's like, uh, you he, know, he put up like, I don't know, 26 shots, whatever he goes. And this was, yeah. he, and Jackson made a comment about how people don't realize the kind of mentality and mental it takes to put up that many shots in a game, like the energy it takes. So LeBron has it, Russell Westbrook has it, like guys like that, you know, we expect them to kind of, okay. And like you said, never, ever, I think it'll get, like, the, he had the big game, I think, game four, yeah, right? Was the game, game three or four, the big game. Yeah, they were giving him, like, I was watching one of those shows for and they're like, yeah, you know, Steph's 
after that, that giant offensive explosion, so much was being asked of him, you couldn't expect him to keep that up. Like, what other superstar do you give? Do you say that about? You know what I mean? Yeah, I've never so, heard that before. It's definitely um, he is definitely judged differently, but I think that cuts both ways because he can have a great game, he can have a thirty-something point game, but like then it's like, oh, well, he didn't do something in the fourth quarter, which I think all all superstars go through that, which is silly. But he can also have a great game and and still kind of catch hell too. But yes, he definitely gets a a mortal operating among the like the superheroes kind of pass. Well, you can't expect Seth to do that. He's Steph. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, do you think because of what Toronto did uh, with Messiah Jerry and getting the rental and this working beyond their wildest dreams? Do you think other teams are going to follow suit and try to follow that model of grabbing a rental and taking that risk? Um, it's going to be on a case by case basis, and I think the general manager has to either uh, be very confident in his role. And no, he has – he's in lockstep with the ownership, and he is like, you know, well, no matter what happens, I'm not going to get fired. I, or he's going to have to kind of be on the – like maybe on the hot seat and say, I need to take a gamble. And no matter what I do, I need to – I guess if it fails, I'm out, I'm out the door anyway, so it doesn't matter. So I think it has to be definitely on a case-by-case basis. Um, like people – I saw people were questioning Danny Ainge, which you can question for a lot of other things, but they were like, well, that's dumb. He didn't get Anthony Davis because he didn't want to give Jason Tatum. And they were saying, look, look, look what happened with Kawhi just now. Well, Kawhi didn't come out and, and have his ownership say before the trade, hey, if you trade for him, he's leaving. This is going to be a rental, which is what Anthony Davis's, owner, his, Anthony Davis's group did with the Celtics. Yeah, uh, Rich Celtics Paul said Right. And his and daddy. Also, his daddy during last season said the same thing. So yes. <laughs> as much as we can knock Danny, like, <laughs> the man's yeah, daddy and his agent said, nah. The fact that I'll say this: if he was more confident in um, in Kyrie staying and saying, "All right, well, I'm going to have Kyrie now," I can see making this move for Anthony Davis because now, even if it's a rental, we have a legit shot at a finals with Anthony Davis, Kyrie, Al Horford. Probably, and if he had more confidence in Al Horford coming back, then yes, then you could you could kill him. Say, "Oh, well, why wouldn't you make that deal? Even if it's one year of Anthony Davis, you got these other two stars locked up, you got a shot at the finals." Well, obviously, it's not the, that's not the situation in Boston. So, um, I don't know if we'll see it happen more often. But between Paul George, boom, they took a shot on one-year rental. They got him to resign. Kawhi, you took the one-year rental and you won a championship, and you might get him to resign. Like, it it just I th- I'm glad that it, it it kills the whole. I think before Paul George and, and before Kawhi, it was almost a given. Oh, no one wants to give up anything for a one-year rental. You never do it, and it made sense. Right, like Paul George, Paul George just took a flyer. It makes sense. Don't do it. But I think now it's a, it's a more viable option for a team that feels all right. Well, we're one piece away. Should we do this? Pull this trigger. And also a team that probably won't draw free agents. So you know, not a lot of big time free agents going to go to Boston. Not a lot of big time free agents are going to go to Toronto. Not not of the ilk that we're talking about. Whether like the elite or right above, right below elite like Paul George. So the only way you're going to get these people is to say, hey, come. The weather's really nice. We love you. We suck up to you. You can eat free for the rest of your life like they're doing for Kawhi Leonard. And then you got a chance to maybe woo them, you know. So I think that's part of the equation too. And I'll say this. 
Well, it all depends on what what he does. If he ends up staying, then yes, it's a, it's a feather in the cap of the hey, take a chance. Why no? Why don't you? Uh, why don't you kind of camp? But even if he leaves, then it's like for the Raptors at least they'll say, hey, we still got a championship. We're good. Yeah. But it would. I think any other team still has to think, hey, do I have a legitimate shot at a at a finals run? Because you know you get to the finals, anything can happen, as we saw. So do I have a legitimate yeah. shot if I make move a finals run? And if not. Is it worth it, right? If if yeah. I can look at the landscape and really think, all right, he's not going to put us, give us a legit shot at the finals. There's no way I can make that move. Yeah, and like you were saying, case by case, because in the case of Toronto, they're just exasperated. It was clear that the regular season team is basically what they were, that they were, and couldn't produce in the playoffs. And they had just reached the end of the road, and everybody was tired of it. That they had hit their ceiling with the Rosen and Lowry in that group that you just had to change it up. So you're not losing anything because you can't just keep running back, you know, 55, 60 win uh, Lowry and DeRozan and then choking the playoffs. So it it was a different – it was a more unique situation too. Well, yeah, I think um, – I don't know. who One of the big-name guys, maybe the ringer, they kind of wrote about it, where they said that this was a perfect win-win situation for the Raptors because they moved DeRozan's contract, which I think he said like, you know, three years and – ton of money left on it, that giant match yeah. contract he had signed. So they said, like, this is a perfect situation. If Kawhi comes and works, good. If not, they basically had a de facto uh, tank move because they got rid of the Morozo's contract. Uh, I think Kyle Lowry, they haven't either t- – I think this might this might have been his last year. I think he might be a free agent because uh, he was a like three-year. I, 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 so I haven't seen him on there. Let's say it didn't work and Kawhi leaves, boom, so you got the Rosen's contract off the books. You also, I think Danny Green is coming up and going to yeah, be a Danny free agent. Coming off. Yep, Danny Four Green books. is. That's too much to books. Um, Kyle Lowry is an expiring contract now, which a $30 million guy who can play and is still in a expiring contract, that's that's actually valuable, right? You can find a mm-hmm. team that says, all right, we'll take him and we'll, we'll clear cap space by taking Kyle Lowry and then, you know, waving whatever, and that's thirty minutes. That's we we're having open thirty million next season. So they were in a perfect spot. They still had their young guys, Fred Vliet, all these guys. Pascal Siakam's good. So they were like they were. They could pivot very easily, no matter what happens, right? So that's where the Raptors were. And honestly, like I'll say this now in hindsight, we talked about Danny Ainge earlier. If he had moved for for uh, Kawhi Leonard, he would have been in a very like you know the whole sticking point. They didn't want to give up Jalen in a Kawhi trade, and that was a sticking point, and that's why Kawhi didn't come to Boston. That's kind of like – that's maybe the, the thing you can kill Ainge for because same thing. If, let's say Kawhi comes on a rental and does it doesn't work out, you still could probably get Kyrie. You still got Gordon Hayward, uh, and you could, you're still in the position where you can pivot and, and, and move forward as a franchise. So I think maybe Danny Ainge also, like kind of like a lot of people, didn't understand how – great Kawhi Leonard was going to be once he got to San Antonio. And there was some uncertainty about uh, I'll excuse that. There was some uncertainty about Kawhi, but I always felt like he kind of I never I never thought he quit on the team, but I definitely thought that he was being conservative with his body, especially when they showed that they weren't going to be conservative with his body, so I wasn't as worried about his uh, injury as others. Did you when you were thinking back to it, I feel like everybody has a different recollection now, but how serious did you think the injury was when it was time, when they were talking about trading Kawhi? 
No, I mean, they made good points because, like, like, you know, a lot of people are saying, when have you ever seen a player just miss a whole season in his prime, blah, blah, cool, you never seen it. But from his description of it, like, just it's a, it was a quad issue, right? And it was a long-term quad issue. He just said he didn't feel right. Like, I, I didn't think he'd come back, like, any worse for wear. You know, people go, oh, he might not ever be the same. I, I, but I don't think, like, watching him do this, take the shots he did and do the things he did, I think people, like, without being able to see it for a whole year, they kind of forgot. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I don't think people realize exactly how – and we've never seen it outside of San Antonio, right? And a lot of the thing with, with Kawhi was, yes, he's a good player, but he's a system player. He's yeah. good because of the system. A lot of people believe that. Like, sure, they said he's good. He's a, a great player, but he's boosted because he plays in this system. Not really realizing that oh, the system can actually help him back. Right? They yeah, let him loose, and, and, and he actually he produced at a level like – I, I don't think people thought he could really do that. So, so that's where I think a lot of people messed up uh, in their analysis of Kawhi Leonard. And let's move to the – we've kind of gotten the past. Let's go to the present the big news, the Lakers have been stalking this man for years, or maybe Rich Paul has been stalking the Lakers with Anthony Davis for years. First thoughts on the trade. When you hear the trade, what were your first thoughts, immediate reactions? Um, my immediate reaction was uh, about time. Uh, so, well, two things, about time, and the second one was the best laid plans of mice and men fall apart, can you know fall apart in a moment's notice, because we know Danny Ainge had been plotting on the same kind of thing, right? His yeah. whole play, and, and to go from where Boston was last summer, which was basically young players, uh, all these assets, all the draft picks had so much potential. You know, we were thinking, oh, that Kings pick is going to be great. And, uh, so to go from there, you know, we got Kyrie, and Kyrie's talking about resigning, and Gordon Hayward, he's looking good in summer, and hopefully he'll be, he'll be, he'll be back to his old self. To go for and Al Horford, sure he's a year left, but even back last summer was planned. You know, people think oh, Al will opt out and take a longer term deal for more money. To go from there to where Boston is right now, it's like a sobering reality that, like you know, Ainge planned that for years, absolute years, and and it's all it all fell apart. It's falling apart right now. So, um, but, as far as, are you a Celtics fan? I can't remember. I am a Celtics fan. Yeah, I thought I was having a flashback. You are a Celtics fan. So today I was on the Ringer group, and I posted, basically my thought was that uh, they have a Ringer Facebook group. It's not as good as you would think, considering it's the Ringer, because they don't monitor it a lot. But I said, and my brother doesn't like uh, Ainge a lot, but my thought was that, yeah, I would have went after one of the guys. I would have went after George Hart. I would have made sure I got Paul George or Anthony Davis or Kawhi Leonard. I don't think I'm missing another person. But I would have went after those guys. I would have really hard went after. I'd have been willing to give at different points. I'd have been willing to give up Tatum. and definitely would have been willing to give up Jalen Brown. But that being said, considering the team that they put on paper on the court and the fact that Kyrie ended up being a flake and that Hayward got hurt, what Danny Ainge put on the court was good enough I mean, people thought maybe they would win 60 games and go and be a lot to get out of the East. So while right. so, at the end of the day, like, his job put a good team on the court, you know? So you can't kill him like a lot of people are, is what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to I'm gonna talk from both sides on this one, because on one hand, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of revisionist history right now, you know, after the fact. Like, uh, I saw that somebody wrote an article, I think, on uh, a Bleach Report, maybe, like, Looking, looking back, why did the Celtics even think that Kyrie was the right move? And like, so people are going to try to retroactively kill Danny Ainge, and that's that's sad because 
last summer, even last summer before they played a game, even people who hated the Celtics were like begrudgingly saying, okay, you know, I guess I was wrong. So my only issue with the whole Ainge thing is uh, the Paul George thing, no. Because a lot like Anthony Davis, he really kind of made it clear, I want to go to Los Angeles. And no one in in Boston has that Russell Westbrook type persona that that that, are, that obviously drew Paul George. Let's say it right now. Russell, Russell Westbrook is what got Paul George to yeah. play. He, yeah. you know, Paul George loves playing with Russ. Russ's personality takes all the uh, all the tension and heat off of Paul George and lets him just kind of do his thing. So, no one in no one in in Boston does that. So that, I think it's a different situation if he comes to Boston and things don't work out. There's no way he's staying in Boston. Um, Jimmy Butler was another one. I, I that that made no sense at all to me. Just Jimmy Butler's personality and his game does not fit into I think like the way kind of Boston wants to play, even with Kyrie, right? So that was one that another thumbs up to aim for passing on Jimmy Butler. Um, we just talked about the Kawhi thing. That's one you could you know hypothetically is that one that you know that, that he'd like to have back? Yes. But um, you know, other than that, man, uh, again. Sometimes it's about the process, not the results. That's very much a uh, like a, a Steve, a, a Steve. I'm sorry, Steve, a Popovich kind of thing, right? Yeah. And uh, even even Daryl Moore and them, they believe that, right? You 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 have the right process and you you do things the right way. Sometimes the results don't happen. The shot doesn't go in, right? You can run a great yeah. play. Everything happens in the right. You know, the shot just doesn't go in. Doesn't mean it's a bad play. The process yeah. was great. The shot didn't go in. This Often is that right now. Random. I think sports fans, we look at it and we say, oh, results, results, results. And yeah, the results are what happened, but a lot of times the results are just random. Like some of these things, you cannot expect Absolutely. him to control. But, but Listen, you know, I'm not giving him a total pass, but I think that's where you're going too. Well, yes, and that's my whole thing. Like this was this was Ainge set up the right play. He put everything in position to where it had to go. If things went right, he's a genius. If, if Kawhi Leonard misses that four-bouncer, are we saying that this was a great move? Because guess what? Let's say they lose that series and he and he just goes to Los Angeles. Are you saying that's a terrible? You know, are, they lost in the second round without that four bouncer. Are you going to say that that was a terrible move? Or you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, my now here's what I'm going to want them going to say though. Uh, we know once things started going bad in Boston, which I think we saw kind of early. Uh, you know, Kyrie come out to the media and saying the things he was made it kind of uncomfortable and. Terry Rozier, we had talked about the friction early in the season from like the, the bench guys and how they just weren't very happy. Once that started early, I think that it's on Danny Ainge and Coach Stevens. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta write the ship. You can't let the you can't let the the saying goes the inmates run the uh, inmates run the asylum. You can't. Yeah, you can't have the and that's what it was. I felt like there was no positive, strong leadership in Boston all season. I think that Smart and Al Horford and Marcus Morris tried to empower Kyrie by saying certain things. A lot of times it was, as we go, as Kyrie goes, we go. You know, he's this team's best player. He's obviously the leader. They were trying to say the right things and, and put him in a position to, to succeed. I don't think Kyrie was ready for the, the enormity of that responsibility, and it showed. And it, as the season wore on, it got worse and worse because there was no unifying force in that locker room, you know. So um, that's how I'm going to put the onus on Ainge and Brad Stevens for not stepping up. And look, if, if Terry Rozier is so much of a problem, which a lot of people say now that he was like he was a big, a big like kind of stirring up, 
Didn't, didn't trade him. Mm-hmm. You should have traded him. Trade him on the trade yeah, line. Yeah, him. Get him second round for him. Let, yeah, so that's – if that was his problem, trade him. Just trade him and get your get your locker room right. And they didn't do that. Like So, so um, yeah, I, I give Ainge all the credit for getting the pieces together. I don't give him credit for when the pieces weren't working, doing the making the appropriate tweaks. So did the Lakers give up too much? No. No, they didn't give up too much. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Right? This is what the Lakers are, man. This is what the, like, the Lakers aren't going to sit there and build a farm team and, and, and scratch and build themselves up from the ground. That's what the Lakers do. Kobe yeah, they Shaq. never have been that, that franchise. Kobe they never Shaq. will be that Magic franchise. Right. Magic Kareem and, and, you know, then worthy of that. So, yeah, but for the most part, yeah, they're, they're a star power, star-driven star driven team. They traded for, for Pau Gasol to join Kobe. They traded. They got Ron Artest to come in the fold and join. So, like, this is not – yeah, they, Ingram, uh, I think they – it's funny because they did. They mishandled a lot of stuff, and they still somehow come out with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And so maybe there's something to that Lakers exceptionalism thing. So that that worked out for them. They mishandled a lot of things, and they still got the they can't they they caught their core right now. So, um, the picks might down the line might come back to bite them a little bit, but that's down the line. You got LeBron James at the tail end of his prime. You got to do something. So, I don't think they gave up too much. Um, it's just kind of funny when you think about it. Like they let like letting Julius Randle walk. That's just a mistake, right? It's, when we all look, I think when we look back in a few years at the whole thing. They just mishandled some of their assets and got pennies and dollars for them or whatever, but it worked out. So, long story short, did they give up too much? No, they didn't. It cost. It cost. It's opportunity cost. Now, could they have held firm on a couple more things? Less picks. They did hold firm. Uh, they held on Kuzma. That's good for them. But, That's all they held on to. <laughs> That's about it. So, I don't think – so, they gave up. They, they end up paying sticker price while – if you go to buy a new car, you can usually, you know, haggle, get some down. So they pay yeah. sticker price, which means they, so they, 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 they paid too much, but they didn't. I understand why they did. They needed to get Anthony Davis in town. Yeah, I felt like that too. People were really overanalyzing, saying this and that. So, well, first of all, you haven't made the playoffs for six years. When you're the Lakers, that's like a dozen years. And you have LeBron James. LeBron James puts you on a different timetable. You, this is how he works. You got to get him another superstar. And if you got LeBron James, why on earth would you make him wait another year of his the tail end of his prime to get this done? So it was just a must. It must be done to me. Like there's no, yeah, they overpaid. So what? It's like you can't overpay for to get two superstars, you know, around their prime, two top five top 10, top 7, however you want to look at it, I almost feel like you can't overpay for that. Now, I will say this. Uh, there's reports that if they had waited to announce this deal and make it after July 6th, they yes, would have like, yeah, like had like a, the end of the month, like to the 30th or something like right. that. Yeah. They would have like an extra, they would have like an extra t- almost $10 million of cap space yeah, if they did things more. right. So what there's they're trying no to do now is they're trying to dump the other guys Right. So it, I'll say there's no excuse for a team, um, an NBA team, to not have a capologist to know this kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't understand that either. I don't understand. And from what the guys I was listening to, it sounds like if they want, because it's not, it's not in the Pelicans' best interest to wait. I think they're penalized. It's small, but I think they're penalized. So they might have to sweeten the pot more for the Pelicans to actually delay it until July 30th. Like, really? You're going to give them more? 
that would just be incredible. Yeah. And, and they will, it's just, a, I mean, they still are a mess, but they have the star power. But yeah, they're trying to unload the contract of the couple guys they do have to clear up the 32 million. I mean, to get it to 32, which I don't even know how the heck that even works. None of the uh, none of the guys like uh, Wojo or, or anybody were saying like that they could do the the, the cap clearing thing. They just said they had to convince mm-hmm. the Pelicans to wait. So I don't know if they're pulling something out of their ass or what. But uh, but yeah, but it's, it's way, still. yeah. There's, there's no excuse for them not to have somebody in their front office who understands the cap enough to understand that. You know what I mean? Maybe Linda Rambis. You know, maybe she just doesn't. Uh, she wasn't there that day or whatever. Um. <laughs> Let's get to the most interesting thing I think out of this whole thing is the team building aspect for the Lakers. I've been looking at it for like three days. I just I'm fascinated by how they're going to do this because when I first looked at it, I said, oh, you know, they got the two best players in the league, two or five, two or three, two or six, whatever, and they'll be fine. But when I look at what they actually have, it's a little tight. So I don't know how much you've looked at it, but who do you think would be some good fits for them uh, to add to the squad? Um, and yeah, that's the thing, right? Let's say if they send another max guy, then they, they're really going to be up against it. I think right now there's LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kuzma, and then there's like what Mo Wagner, yeah, uh, like two other just kind of end of yeah, bench guys. Right, yeah, nobody. Yeah. Well, Rich, do they still have Reggie Bullock right now? He's not on it, but they can give him the, uh, the room exemption. So technically he's not on the book though, but I think it's like they can pay him more. He's got a 4.7 cap mill uh, and cap hold, but they can give him a larger amount. I don't know if that counts as the room exemption, but basically they got we're, we're right now. If it was as it was, they got about 24 million dollars. They can offer one person the room exemption, and I think they can go over if they re-sign Reggie. But they've only got five yeah. guys on contract, I believe it is. There you go. So like, yeah, they're going to be really hard up against it, man. I, I guess the theory is it'd be better for them instead of looking for another hunting for another max guy. It's filling up that roster with break it up, guys. yeah. It is hurting somehow. I think they should break it up because then you'd almost have the uh, I, I always get them confused. It's the room exemption and then you know veteran minimum guys, and you had your three max guys, but that's tough. You know you're gonna have to get some guys that uh, wanted to play like the old days. I don't know how easy that it is to do now, like the Mike Millers to come in and used to follow LeBron around, but those guys are getting old. So it's not the same thing anymore. Like Mike Miller and uh, who else did they used to get? But guys like that used to follow them around, you know, in Cleveland and in Miami. I'll, I'll say this. Like Kyle Corver is probably going to get bought out uh, from that trade. He got traded from Utah to uh, the, 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 the Memphis, so he'll probably get bought yeah. out. That's, that'd be a decent pickup, but like Kyle Corver is 38 and he yeah. can't really defend. Like, if you're talking about guys you want to give money to, J.J. Reddick's not bad. Um, a guy like, oh, I guess let's see how bad Wes Matthews, if, does he want to win? Because Wes Matthews would be a good play, I think, for them, if he'd come yeah, in there for a small, a small number. Um, so there's options, man. But yeah, A lot of people talk about so, Danny Green, but that doesn't strike me. Like, I, I like but, Danny, that, but if you watch him in the playoffs, per- sometimes it's painful. Nope, that's perfect. He plays defense. And he can't hit shots. He's keeping hit shots, and and he's he's no, he's not washed up. So that'd be perfect if he if he's willing to take a. Uh, and here's the thing though, Danny Green just won a ring. He has a couple rings already now. You, is he going to come in and play for 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 dirt cheap just because? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think Courtney Lee, I think, is going to be on the market. That's the kind of guy they can look for. He can, he can shoot. He can defend a little bit. He's low undersized. So there's options. 
Now, after what we saw last summer, though, does Rob Palenka have it in him to, to make these kind of moves, right? Last year they brought in Rondo and, like, you know, a, a bunch of mismatched Michael Beasley. That was, they just did a bad job last year. Let's see if they can yeah, do a better troubling. job this year. And, and Lance, and Lance make them dance. Well, like, I, yeah, I, did, I didn't understand what they were trying to do. But I guess they can blame that on Magic. But Bodanovich, I feel like, would be, like, a really good fit. But he might be – he's going to probably take about half of what they got. Terrence Ross. What do you think about Ariza? Do you think Ariza's uh, washed or do you think Ariza's washed? Uh, he's not washed. He, he still ha- – like, playing – so, playing in the role they're going to want him, right, which is going to be the, you know, just basically a 3 and D guy, that's great. If you want to take that, that small amount of money, because I think – and he probably will be because we know Ariza kind of wants to win right now. So um, that's a good pick. So, so far we've got guys like J.J. Reddick, Trevor Ariza, Wes Matthews, Courtney Lee. Uh, yeah, you need you need wings. You need rebounders. Beverly. You, need, you want – guy like Beverly. Uh, and he might take I, the, the money. Maybe you can get him for less than – you know, maybe get him to seven to eight, hopefully, and maybe you can slip in there. Some people have said, uh, some people have said Seth Curry, which would be interesting, but he needs to be a bench guy. I don't think – you start him the whole time. I don't know how you feel about it, but I like him, but I don't know if you do that. I like him, too. I like him, too. So, yeah, there, there's options out there. There's options. Do you feel like, given that they sign appropriate people, so we know it's not going to be a killer team, but do you think they just sign average guys? Do you think that makes them the favorite in the West? Um. Right now, so I'm going to say that Golden State Warriors, I've, I still think if the Rockets come back healthy, the Rockets are still the favorites, should be the favorites. I think Mike <laughs> Conley to the Utah Jazz is such an upgrade that that they are amongst the top of the West. I think fully actualized, yes, the Lakers team will definitely be in the running for a top two or three seed, and they get to the playoffs healthy with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and in shooters, anything can happen. Where do you see the Pelicans after the trade? What What do you see the state of the Pelicans at? Um, so the Pelicans, they kind of were mismanaged during uh, Anthony Davis's pri- uh, prime. I think they their heart was in the right place. They didn't do a good job of adding sustainable kind of high-level, great fit pieces around him. As we saw, they gave my guy, uh, this guy named Solomon uh, Solomon Jones. Uh, Solomon Wilcox. No, I want to say Solomon Wilcox. It's something I know what you're talking about. Solomon Wilcox, he's spelled ESP. I know what you're talking about. He's not good. <laughs> well, the fact is, he's a, he's, oh, he plays defense. He's tough, and he, but he can't shoot. Like, you you got to have shooters around, uh, around Anthony Davis. Solomon they Hill. didn't do a yeah. great Solomon, Solomon Hill. Hill, there you go. Oh. Uh, so, um, and instead of trying to build that team the right way, they try to go all in, you know, at that first that kind of fluky playoff run they had, and they just didn't do a great sustainable job. Um, so whatever it happens, uh, I, I like them bringing in uh, the old Cavs GM. Uh, I like the fact that they're going all Griffin, young. Yeah. yeah, Griffin's a good. He he obviously he he showed his worth almost immediately by getting this trade done and getting such a large haul for Anthony Davis. So like, um, yeah, they're in a fine spot. Uh, the question now is. Do they say we're going to kind of win as we as we grow and keep Drew Holiday, or are you going to kind of go all in the youth movement, which I think they should do probably, and, and get what they can for Drew right now? Yeah. So, how high are you on the Lakers uh, so, guys on Zoe and uh, Ingram? They're kind I'm of divisive. 
I'm not the biggest Zoe guy. I don't think you pick somebody who, like, it was kind of said about about him in the Sky Report that he was like a basically a glue guy. He's not going to be a superstar, like the kind of guy that you say is going to give you 40, 30, and be lead. But he, he, they said, like, he's like the catalyst. If you have a good team, he can make them great. And that's kind of yeah. weird that, that the Lakers really put that's the, our number two the board, pick. Like, so high. Right, that's not a number two pick. So whatever, he's fine. He's good. He's gonna he's gonna look really good beside Drew Holiday, I think. Um, if he can get that shot together, like really get it together, then it then look out. If he can hit threes and defend, he's in there. So that's fine. Um, Ingram, I was higher on Ingram than most probably last couple seasons, and he's he's so tantalizing. It just seems like there's not a lot of impact to the stuff he does. And like I watch him, and I feel like he should be more athletic, and he should. He just he's a weird guy, so we'll see how they utilize him and, and if they can actualize him uh, playing in 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 with the Pelicans and and Zion, Zion's a monster, right? And it's just he's he's a bundle of potential. Let's see if they can can shape that into an actual basketball player, an NBA basketball player. So we'll see, man. It's it, I'm, it's for a team that just gave up an, a, a future Hall of Famer, and you know he turned his back on him. There's a lot of, of hope and like optimism in, in in New Orleans, and that means they did a good job. Yeah, they definitely they definitely did. Griffin did a good job. He got Zion. Uh, while we're on Zion, what's his? Uh, give me what you think his floor is, his ceiling, and then what you think he actually will be. So it's hard for me to say floor because if he hits his floor, I think as the number one pick, and his floor is let's say even if his floor is like a really good. Let's say his flow, a floor is a, 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 a maybe offensively like a better offensive, or the offensive version of Draymond Green, where you put him at center mm-hmm. and he can't be, and he's big enough to like you know strong enough to hold his own against centers, but he can't like he's not the defensive like monster that that Draymond is. So he's a he's basically a scoring Draymond, right? Doesn't play deep, like he's not gonna be a great defender, but like if he hits that floor, I think like shh, that's fine. He'll have a place in the NBA, but that's gonna be a huge disappointment. Right, so his if that's his, I, I'm trying to think of a player that you could even say that's like I, Cor, I don't know, Corliss Williams. That's that's a terrible comparison. <laughs> that's so tough. I think, that's, yeah, that's, that's a terrible. But that's not a bad NBA player though. It's not, but if you draft that number one, you're not happy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you even take Julius Randle, I think even people, a lot of people say he's a upgraded Julius Randle or a rich man's. But if he was just a regular Julius Randle, I think people would be disappointed probably. Absolutely. You don't draft. You don't. You're not looking for 17 and nine when you drafted the guy number one. You want. You know. You want a superstar. Yeah. Uh, his ceiling. Think about this. It's, it's different. I know it's different, but his ceiling was more like maybe Charles Barkley because Charles Barkley was only six six. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, 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 Bar- that's a great comparison. That I was using that right. like during the season because of just the the physicality and the size and just that combination of speed, power, leaping ability, all that all that weight moving at that size and that speed. There's only one other guy, well, LeBron, but there's only another guy that, you know, there's only a couple guys like that. Absolutely. So, the yeah, that's my thing with him. The, the, the explosiveness, the speed, the strength, it's going to be incredible. I just kind of – I'm concerned about um, – that level of explosion, such as, you know, that, that package, that, that the weight he's going to carry. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, man, but let's just hope the injuries don't start immediately, you know. Let's hope they can Yeah, you want to you see what this is going to be. And I, the more I look at him, the higher I get on him, 
I, and I like Mormon, but the more, gosh, the more I look at him, I've been looking at these tapes and things and some of the, he's more advanced than people give him credit for with his passing and his footwork. And there's a lot more to him than just what everybody's saying. Oh, he just dunks. There's a lot more going on than just dunks. And the fact that he has a high motive too, I, I really just think the sky's the limit, but you know how people get when there's a big prospect, some people just go the other way just to go the other way. So they'll be right and then not be held accountable when they're wrong, because everybody just remember, oh, Zion's great, you know? Yeah, and that's how it goes. So, I mean, people throw out so many takes that they know that he'll get buried in the, the rush of everybody else. But, yeah, I like John Mormon, too, man. I think he's going to be really good. I think he's yeah. he's going to be everything uh, – John Mormon. Uh, he's going to be everything that Markel Fultz was supposed to be. Yeah, I agree. I love Mormon. And, you know, it, it, my brother was really – my brother is – big in the NBA and he does a podcast with me sometimes and he was into folks but of course he has that excuse that you know he had like the, the, the I want to say it's a mental illness but the injury and then the mental block or whatever so we don't know what he would have been but yeah I think yeah I just see with Mormon I just see a stud and a guy that was made to play guard in today's NBA yeah yeah I, I mean that that I, I, I watch some clips of him sometimes. I'm just in awe of his explosiveness. So, yeah, I think people say it's a weak draft and, you know, Zion and everybody else. I think at the top, those, there's, there's going to be a lot of good players. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think people are underestimating it. I, I think almost because Zion and Mormon are so good that those are kind of franchise guys that people are underrating the other guys that will be, like, solid twos and threes for good teams. By, by people listen by twos and threes. I mean, like, the second and third best player. But I think that's out there. I definitely think it's out there, but I don't want to go too far into the draft. Um, the Rockets, a lot of news comes out, uh, came out this week about their being, well, came out last week too. It seems like it's come out every week since the season ended or just right recently, but there's a lot of friction between Chris Paul and James Harden and that Paul wants out, even though Paul has denied that. When I first saw this, this pairing, I was like, they both need the ball. They both have strong personalities. How is it going to work? But everybody assured me they were friends, and the first year it seemed fine. But this year, it seemed like when Paul got hurt and Harden did his whole Kobe impersonation MVP run, when, when Paul came back, he really didn't know where he fed in, and they never really figured it out. Yes. So we're seeing the issue with the smallish – not super athletic guard as he gets older. Uh, he had one of his worst statistical seasons in his career, uh, him being Chris Paul. He played only like 58 games. Um, I think last two seasons only played like 58 games each one. Let's just see the game both yeah. last two seasons. Um, his shooting percentage was, was, was lower, like one of his lowest of his career. He wasn't really – like his three-point percentage wasn't great. Um, he couldn't beat his man anymore. The, the shake is starting to go already. So, like, this is – a lot of things with Chris Paul before he got by on his brains, and he did have just enough athleticism to make it all work. But when he starts to tail off, like I think he's starting to tail off, that's a problem. That's really an issue. We have video of Chris Paul and James Harden arguing on the bench. You know, yeah. there's a there's a, a video where Chris Paul tries to give him the fist, like bump my fist, and James Harden smacks his hand. Right. So like this. Now I don't. I think whoever sourced that article might have overblown it just a bit. You know, Chris Paul is denying it now. Uh, Daryl Morey is exasperatedly denying the fact that he demanded a trade. So um, maybe whoever it is who had that story got some of the details wrong, which matters. It matters, right? You, you got, you want to yeah. be accurate. But 
there's obviously some discomfort there between the two stars. They're not a clean fit. Like you said, I think people asked this question when the trade was first made, right? People ask this question, I don't know, how's this going to work? These two guys, are so di- they're so different, but yet they both want the ball. How's this going to work? Well, it's playing out the exact, it was that exact way is how it's playing out. And I'm going to make a comparison here. Daryl Morey, in a way, is trying to do, like Ainge and Daryl Morey, Morey did two things. They just said, hey, we're going to get the talent, we're going to make it work. They didn't, maybe, they didn't maybe think about chemistry. They didn't maybe think about how the personalities fit. They just want to make it work. Usually talent wins out at the end, and I get it. But um, in the Rockets, hey, the Rockets guys, guys, I feel like, I th- and I hate to be like, and I'm not a hot take guy, but if you watch Chris Paul's career and you watch James Harden's career, those are guys that get tight when it's time to produce at the highest level at the biggest time. So you put both of those guys together, and they had opportunities the last two years to get it done. And granted, yeah, we know Chris Paul got hurt, but I feel like that's not the combination of guys that's going to take you there, just personality-wise and temperament-wise. And I don't want to call them chokers, but just in how they perform in big moments-wise. So I'm going to say this. Um, I'm not a big Chris Paul guy either, right? I respect his efficiency. I respect his uh, his skill level. He's an extremely skilled player. I'm like, but I've never been like, oh, he's a he's a, he's what you need to take you to the promised land, and he hasn't been. And I think a lot of it, in a way, it's funny. It's a parallel with Steph. He's a normal sized guy with relatively normal type athleticism, and when it comes down to it, and the NBA defenses get bigger and stronger and more intense in the playoffs, they have a hard time cracking that. Now that being said, I'm I'm with you. Like he he's been known kind of as a choker, but he if you look at the, I'm gonna act to be as a reasonable NBA analysis guy here. If you look at the numbers, usually in those games, even if they lose at the end, he's usually played pretty well. I'm giving that. Yeah. But it's just that Richard he can't. He can't. Me back sometime. I think she's in love with him. One time she treated, tweeted me back about his PER and the playoffs and da 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 da. And I'm big on stats, I analytics, stats, or whatever. But when you watch Chris Paul play in these playoff games, what you take away from him are he didn't get it done. You know, and I'm not just uh, the guy lost, so it's the team it's the team lost, that's the guy's fault. But it just feels like in the big moments, he's falling a little short. Um, and see, it's funny you say that, because that's, that's a pun. That's a plan word. The guy's like 6'1". Um, and yes, he, he just can't. Look, <laughs> yeah, did he do that on purpose? Say what you want to say about Russell Westbrook, but he will, you know, he'll miss the layup, but he'll get to the hole when he needs to. And he's he'll elevate and take the point. Right, I, I I say this like the best players in the league have certain superpowers. Anthony Davis is seven foot tall but runs like a guard. LeBron James is six eight but is strong as a center, and runs like a, runs like a point guard. You know, Russell Westbrook has his, his superhuman hops. Steph Curry has a superhuman shooting. With Chris Paul, it's kind of like the Batman in this one, where it's all about his brain basically. And if you take a, you fight somebody with cosmic abilities, I don't care how smart you are, you're probably gonna lose. So. Uh, yeah, you put him against the best players in the league. Like, you know, hey, Chris Paul lost to Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook a lot. It happens, you know. So, um, whatever. Uh, yes, he is definitely not the – I never thought he was the answer. I thought him and James Harden did together. I, I, I'm actually a Harden fan, and I'm one of the few people in the world, I think, that enjoys watching him play, even though it does get a little ridiculous sometimes. But in general, I love to watch his footwork. I like how much effort he's put into his game, how much he's improved, how much he's involved how much of a technician he is and everything he does. But that being said, I'm not able to be an apologist. Well, I've never been able to be an apologist for his playoff performances, but I just, I can't, 
I can't be an apologist anymore and say that that style is conducive because they're not giving him the fouls as much in the playoffs and he gets frustrated and it's just not as, as efficient without him going to the line as many times in the playoffs. So we're, we are seeing the limitations of a laboratory design team, right? Yeah. They push the limit. They push the limits of threes and layups, right? They basically eradicate the mid range. They got a great isolation player. So they push the limits of his usage. Well, there's also the human factor and we see it every playoffs. I think uh, even, yeah, even this one, he gets, he's gassed by the time the, you know, you're, you're in game six, seven, Always. Of the Western Finals. He's gassed. He's gassed. And um, then also, we also know this. It's funny because this is one of those things that everybody knows, but somehow the, the Rockets have figured out a way to, to, to beat this part of reality. Things that work in the regular season are going to be a lot harder in the playoffs because you're playing the same team over and over again. By game three, they know your counters, they know exactly where all your guys are going to be on all your sets. So by game three, you've got to have. Counters to your counters, you got to have, a, or you have a superhero. You have a guy who could, like Kevin Durant, going to break any defense. It doesn't matter. Uh, James Harden can score on any defense. He's not going to break that defense. He's going to score at a decent clip. He's not going to really break it against a playoff championship level defense. He's not going to break it. He's not Kevin Durant. So we see that the Rockets don't have the counters. They played great, and they were right there for a couple series, but they don't have the counters, and they don't have anything to go to once it's okay, they're not letting us shoot open threes or missing open threes, and they're not letting us get to the rim. What's next? They don't have sets. They don't have anything to go to. So that's, that's something that, that uh, Dan Tony has to figure out. Yeah, and, and they don't even know if they're going to – we don't even know if it's going to be Dan Tony to figure it out. But, man, I'm glad we finally got to do this. We got to do it again soon. Before you go, tell us – tell everybody where they can find your work, where they can find you on Twitter or anything else you want to plug. You plug your podcast, whatever you want to do. So um, right now I've I've been I took like a year long hiatus really man so I appreciate you having gotcha. me on that, that you, you respect my NBA knowledge enough to have me on I really haven't produced any content but um so cool. uh, everyone listening out there you can find me on Twitter at Snotty Dripping you can check me out um me and Joe Borelli have a podcast the Dunk Tales Pod we're gonna come back with that this summer and try to get some episodes in uh, lineups dot com is where uh, one place that's gonna have you know have my work come out this year and. Real Ball Insiders, shouts to my man, uh, Raphael. He's still doing his thing. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to start be part of the NBA, uh NBA Twitter, NBA blog boy community again and, and, and generate <laughs> some content. But as for now, just follow me on Twitter at Snotty Dripping and we can talk hoops and life and basketball, whatever. I appreciate it, man. This is great. Good. Glad we got together. Thanks for having me, brother. Hope that's in the, hope that uh how how's my sound quality is okay? It's good, it's good. Everything was good. All right, man, we're going to be good. All right, folks, that was that was a good interview. He and I had a pretty good chemistry. It's been a while since the two of us have been on there. Again, you can follow him uh, at the locations and the places that he gave you. Also, if you enjoy this podcast and you heard about it through him on his Twitter, you can give us a five-star rating, please. In the words of Bamani Jones, I am inclined to believe you are a hater if you don't give us five stars. So give us five stars, give us a review, share the content, keep the movement growing of the IB network. Until next time, hope you all have a good one.